Hi, I'm Bernard Fraser, and welcome to The Essence of Cool. On today's show, we talk to rapper, songwriter, producer, and entrepreneur, Keisha Fresh. Keisha started writing and rapping at the ripe old age of 11. She's a celebrated solo artist and one-third of the group, The Sorority. She's worked with the likes of Dougie Fresh and Socrates, and has toured with such notables as Wu-Tan and Snoop Dogg. She has two albums, four EPs, and countless collaborations, and Complex Canada Magazine has called her a legend in the making. Today, she makes her case for why megastar Jay-Z and hip-hop icon Bahamadia are the essence of cool. Let's get started. Keisha Fresh, welcome to The Essence of Cool. Thanks for having me. Super excited. I'm excited too. Um, I, uh, I have to tell you that you've chosen a couple of artists that I know virtually nothing about, so I'm really fascinated to learn. But we're going to talk a little bit about uh, you, first of all, before we get to that. We have uh, typically talked uh, to previous guests about their definition of cool, what what is cool, and uh, phrases like uncompromising, don't care what critics or fans think, they push the boundaries. They always do the unexpected. These are the sort of the phrases that people have been using to describe cool. How do you define cool? Cool for me is like <clears throat> someone who, I guess, just isn't afraid to be them super unapologetically, um, really kind of just laid back, mellow, can kind of go with the flow. Um that is kind of my definition of cool. And so these, you know, when I, when I think of an artist or when you asked me to think of artists who represent that, it was kind of, it was like really easy for me to. What you're describing, I think is the word authentic. And it's something when I was doing research on Bahamadia that kept cropping up about her authenticity. Exactly. So I want to, I want you to take me back to a 13 or 14 year old Keisha. What, were you listening to and what kind of impression did that music make on you? Um, I was listening to, at 13, 14, I was listening to a lot of TI. Um, I was listening to a lot of, um, at the time Lupe Fiasco. I was listening to, uh, a lot of reggae music, uh, soca music. I'm West Indian. So, um, Reggae and soca is a big thing for me in my in my culture. Um, listening to a lot of R and B music, you know, um, Mariah Carey and Destiny's Child, or that's why I guess at the time Beyonce, um, Jennifer Hudson, and you know, just it, I, my music variety is uh, my 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 taste is so big. My palette for music is so big, so. There was a lot of I, I I I don't I can't narrow in on a particular artist more so genres. And how do those genres and those that range of artists in help you inform your own music? Um, it gives me more to to, to write about. It um gives me more ideas and topics. You know, everybody kind of draws from their own story when they're when they're writing or when they're producing or putting out music. So. When you listen to, when you have a range, you can say, okay, I really like the way that this 
you know, soul song delivered this. I like the way this gospel song delivered this. I like the way this reggae song delivered this. I like the cadences they use over here. I like the the wordplay they use over here. I like the time, the rhyme scheme timing that they use over here. Um, I like the ballads that they did over here. So you can just draw from all of these different, instead of just being narrow-minded and narrowing in on one particular um, genre and one particular sound, I noticed that artists who will listen to one particular genre, one particular artist, they get trapped. I, I like to say trapped into that sound mm-hmm. and you can hear such a huge influence. And it's like, man, that's, it's, it's cool. It's dope. But is, is it you or is it the artist? Because you're, you, you know, once you, once you listen to something or you're in an environment all the time, you become that. So for me, it was like when I listen to a broad variety of things, I can pull from so many different things and the sound just be so unique because it's not one thing. Right. Uh, we'll talk about this a little later on, but one of the things that uh, cropped up in my uh, research about Bob Medea was that uh, she ha- also had uh, or has a huge range of influences. And in fact, you know, I was listening to her first album, Collage, and it just it seemed like everything from from jazz to funk. Uh, and she I guess she even noted that she's a big fan of Earth, Wind and Fire. So, right. Uh, it, it's really interesting how how we use our musical influences to inform our own music. Yep. Um, I want to jump into to Jay-Z. He's your, your first pick here. And I'm reading his wiki page, and it's saying, sold over 50 million albums, 22 Grammys, the most number one albums by a solo artist. And that, that's 14, which I guess means every album he's ever put out has been number one. Uh, he was in 2019, he was uh, noted as the first hip hop billionaire and he is the wealthiest American musician. Those are some startling statistics. Why is he so renowned? Well, you know, that's one of the main, even prior to all those accolades and stats, one of the main reasons I, I just find him so cool. And I guess a lot of people do. He's to me, Jay-Z is so relatable. And 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 it's crazy because Jay-Z and I come from two completely different walks of life. You know, he came from a lot of hardships and Marcy projects in Brooklyn, New York. I came from the suburbs and, you know, Durham and in 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 North York, Ontario. It's two completely different realities. However, when I listen to Jay-Z, his first album is called Reasonable Doubts, my favorite album. And when you listen to it, though I can't necessarily directly relate to the life he's describing in his records, I can relate to the passion, to the hustle, you know, to 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 the feelings that he he expresses. So I think with Jay-Z, it's like the reason he was able to accumulate so many accolades and just so many noteworthy milestones in his career is because he is relatable. He's a people's person. He's a people's rapper. He's super laid back and calm. You you rarely hear of Jay-Z involved in drama. You know, you'll have critics. You'll have critics that criticize the things that he decides to do business-wise. However, you don't hear that he's in any type of petty drama. He's just not involved in those types of things. He comes, he releases his music, he shoots his music videos, he does his performances, he makes his business deals, and he keeps, you know, to himself relatively. And he's about family and, 
you know? So when you look at those things, that's like, that's the artist that I inspire to be in the sense of, I just want to be, you know, do, you know, come out, release my music, you know, work on my business deals and just, just, just be a, a people's person, be a people's artist, release music, focus on, on those things and not get caught up in all the stuff that a lot of these artists, these younger artists and some older artists constantly get caught up in, um, you know, the drama and stuff. He really has done a lot in his career to avoid those little petty things. And and I think it's, I think it's why a lot of people can relate to him. He's a very business minded person and he's just, he's sincere. When did you first hear him? What did you hear? And uh, at what time of your life? I first heard Jay-Z probably a very young age. Um, he were, Like I said, he released Reasonable, Reasonable Doubt in 1996. And at that time, I would have right. been three. Um, right. I've always listened. You know, hip-hop has always been in our family. I've always, you know, been around it. So I would say... I have memories as early as early back to as, you know, being five, four, five years old, six years old and really falling in love with songs like I'm feeling it off of that album with Mecca that was produced by Ski Beats. Um, I have memories of those those songs playing on the radio and just being mesmerized by the sound and the way that Jay-Z was just rhyming so calmly and, and, and fluidly on it. He before he even gets his first deal, and I guess this is the early '90s. He's uh, so committed to his art and so passionate that he's selling CDs out of his car, right? But then he he gets uh, a deal. He releases "Reasonable Doubt," and it go it shoots to number twenty three in the Billboard charts. Later, it gets included in the Rolling Stone 500 Greatest Albums of All Time, which is incredible. What is it, or what was it about that album that resonated so deeply with the, the population? Um, like I said, it's just it's so authentic. I mean, I my partner, uh, my partner, he's from he's from New York, and he's from Queens, a, a neighboring borough to Brooklyn. But that's also one of his favorite albums because you know it spoke to him at that time as well. You know what I mean? It, it it was so relatable for a lot of young black men growing up in diff, not just New York, but Philly, Chicago, you know, different neighborhoods, different places. They saw the same things. They had to live through the same things. And it kind of, for them was like, wow, this dude over here in Brooklyn is speaking about my life over here in Philly. You know, you hear a lot of those types of stories of why it connected to so many people. But like I said, there are women, there are people in all walks of life who find things in that album that speak to them. Hardships happen, come in all shapes and forms. And I think one of the biggest things Jay-Z did was he was able to make it broad enough that more than just him and his friends can relate. Other people can see themselves and relate. And not only did the album speak about the hardships, but it spoke about this is what's on the other side of the hardships. This is the luxurious life that you can that we can live on the other side of these things. We can take trips to Manila. We can do jet skis. We can things that some young black kids were not at the time. It was totally out of their reach and vision. He told you and showed you, you can do these things. You know, so I, I I think it gave a lot of people hope as well. But it was just so the album just sounded so cool. And speaking of hardships, the follow up album in my lifetime, Volume One, produced by 
Puffy. Yeah, I think Puffy executive produced that one. Yeah, it outsells his first album, and on on the wiki page, he was he says that uh, he made it while he was going through one of the worst periods in his life, and I guess this is referring to the death of uh, Notorious B.I.G. How important are these hardships, these difficult times for artists, an artist's ability to write? It, I think it gave him, it gives you fuel. You know, when you lose friends, when things happen in your life, when, when, when you're in a huge, when you just released your first album and that catapults you to a level of stardom, it, it gets, diff, things become more difficult. People think life gets easy because more money, but no, now you're dealing with more stuff. Now you're trying to sift through who's real and who's not, who's around for the money and who's not. So I think a lot, just listening to documentaries and stuff of him speaking, I think a lot of those things came from those hard times that he went through in that transitional period. And so when you listen to In My Lifetime and you kind of hear the the, the stuff that he's speaking about that differs from the 1996 release of Reasonable Doubt, it's it's the content is a little bit more like you hear him talking about friends who switch up on him. You hear him talking about losing friends. Like he's actually telling you like, these are the things that happen once you go from point A to point B now. So I think that he did a good job getting those feelings out. And, and, you know, again, something that's relatable because now all artists, now you're an artist. Now this is when Jay-Z is becoming an artist artist. Like, other artists who went through the same thing or are going through the same thing are like, yo, he's right. That's true. That did happen. And so now you have, you're, you're getting the fandom of your competitors. You're getting the fandom of your, your peers in the music game who are like, man, he re- he was able to articulate that so well on that record. And so I think in my lifetime is when Jay-Z started to become, like I said, an artist, artist. And he was, he was definitely, um, speaking to, I wouldn't say a different audience, but an even more broader audience than he was on his first album. And then the third album, Hard Knock Life, uh, is an even bigger hit. Does this sort of massive success affect his art in any way? Um, I think with, I think with Hard Knock Life, which is Volume Two, I think with that album, he got a little more flashy and bigger hit because he 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 had producers on that album who were in their own right huge successes at the time like Jermaine Dupri was on that album I think Irv Gotti uh Kid Capri like Swiss Beats Timbaland like he had the heavy hitters at the time all on that album so the album had this sound that could relate to so many different places you're talking Virginia Timbaland you're talking Atlanta Jermaine Dupri so the album was able to stretch further now with all these other hands and influences touching it um the songs on that album became were a little more crossover than we were used to on the first two albums that were more hard-hitting rap albums. Um, you had more crossover kind of records that had more upbeat kind of poppy-ish sounds to it that some of his fans from album one or two were kind of like, ah, uh, uh, that's not the Jay-Z that we love, but the lyrics and the bars were still there so they could still support it. And I think a lot of artists have a hard time with that line of, how do I keep my fans and but also cross over and get new fans? But I think he did really well with it on that particular album. I want to talk to you a little bit about that because he uh, just after that, he collaborates with Mariah Carey. 
And there seems to be a fair bit of collaboration, or has been over the past 20 years, between rappers and pop artists. And I wonder how the rap community feels about this kind of collaboration with pop artists. Is it kind of watering down uh, the value of rap, or is, is it accepted? I would say that now it is starting to fade a little. Um, I think everything has its peak. And now I feel like you get more hip hop collaborations with Latin infused music, which they're mm-hmm. still considering pop music, which is very interesting. But um, I think there's definitely there's the time period that you have hip hop artists. Hip hop will always be. And it's interesting because I actually spoke about this in one of Blair's lectures years ago when I mentioned hip hop is will always be one of those genres that the artists collaborate with. So we, this genre collaborates with more genres than any other genre. You have hip hop and rock, you have hip hop and country, you have hip hop and reggae, you have hip hop in pretty much every genre that has clashed or collaborated at some point. And so I feel like they have their time, but I feel like hip hop and pop will owe and hip hop and R and B will always be something that will will collaborate and and, and throughout the years. I just feel as though that pop is so broad now because you have R&B songs that are being considered pop. Right. You have pop songs being considered R&B. So the definition of pop to me is a little blurry. So I yes, but uh, I don't know. It's interesting because uh pop originally, well, back, say back in the 60s, uh, listening to a pop station, it was uh, a great m- melting pot of of a variety of genres. Right. And that it was only in the, I guess, the 80s and 90s where it started to get very pigeonholed and segmented. But it seems like we're sort of going back to that original fusion of, of genres, which I think is very cool. Right. Exactly. Totally agree. You'd mentioned... Uh, uh, for Hard Knock Life, he had uh, there were a lot of collaborations, a lot of producers, a lot of hands involved, and that seems to be quite a trend, not just in hip hop, but also in in pop, in country, where you have writing rooms, and it's usually eight or nine or ten people around writing a song. Is that the way of the future, or are we going to get back to the you know the singer songwriter? I don't I don't see the singer songwriter going anywhere but i also feel like as you progress especially with the pop genre you will have more hands on a record and not just because more people wrote the record i'm noticing but because people want to avoid lawsuits and i say that so candidly because i i see it all the time where i'm like when did this person write on this record? Why is it saying this person wrote on this record? And it would be like, oh, because they used a line from that person's tweet. Oh, they used a line or, you know, they might have the, 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 the bridge part, the melody of the bridge is actually similar to this song. So to avoid the lawsuit, they credit them as a song, the, the original song artist as a songwriter. So there's some songs where I've sound like I've seen eight songwriters and six of them were just because of a sample that was used. Oh, so wow. okay. that happens a lot. Hip hop is the genre that is notorious for sampling. So you'll see that there. Um, pop 
music, I just always feel there is more hands in, in pop music. So you'll see that there. But I love the singer-songwriter genre. And I, and I just always hope that people can continue yeah. to stay true to that. So Jay-Z, in, I guess, 2004, he's uh, named president of Def Jam. How important was that for the hip-hop community to have somebody like that in charge of such a significant record company? I think it was monumental. Um, I just don't think that it necessarily was the greatest move in the long run. Um, but I, I, it's it's difficult. Why? Because he got, I know he got a lot of flack for it, only because people felt as though he did not do... It was a little more self-serving. I've seen the comments of it being a little more self-serving than it was beneficial to the actual label. Um, at the, around that time, Jay-Z was actually slated to retire. It was, you know, the retirement run and just I'm going to be the business mogul. But I felt like he wasn't, He, you know, he came back shortly with an album. So it wasn't necessarily that he was ready to retire or retiring, but he kind of just maybe felt at the time he was ready to retire after the black album, but just still decided to come back. Not sure what happened there, but people felt like you can't. And I, I, I'm a firm believer in you can't be an artist and be a manager or uh, uh, run a label successfully. You have to give that up. And if you want to own a label, cool, but you have to let people do the day to day and run it. So I feel like Jay-Z kind of running the label while still being an artist might've been a little bit, it wasn't the greatest idea, but I also believe that Jay-Z brought a lot of amazing artists to Def Jam. Um, he's responsible for Rick Ross and Rihanna and, and Kanye and Tierra Marie and wow. a lot. And I think Neo, you know, there was quite a few wow. artists that he is responsible for. So it's like he did good. He did good in the role as far as those superstars. Because look at Rihanna. I mean, Rihanna's huge. She's huge. Kanye, huge. So when you look at that, it's like, okay, you know, he's responsible for these artists, but there had, there was some flack there. So, yeah. And this, the business about retirement, I mean, any artist who is so passionate about their music and the music is so infused in their blood, I mean, they never stop creating. So it's not likely that he's ever going to stop creating. Right. I, I, I agree. He was the first hip hop artist to headline Glastonbury Festival in the UK, which is a, for those who don't know, is a massive, massive festival. And, uh, you know, there's always this huge fight to, you know, to get on the bill at Glastonbury. But I guess this, it sparked a backlash from Noel Gallagher of Oasis, who thought that the festival should only be guitar bands. So I get brings to mind the question that hip hop seems to have had to break through a, a lot of barriers to take its place at the forefront of music, and it it is certainly uh, the most pervasive uh, form of music uh, in the world today. I would think. Um, so t- tell me about the barriers. I mean, it's been uh, a rough road in the last uh, thirty years, I guess. Well, since the the mid late seventies through to today, in terms of getting hip hop to the forefront. I mean, I don't. <laughs> I don't appreciate the the type of criticism that some of the it's, it, but it's a struggle with something that we've always had to face as hip hop artists, but the criticism of hip hop is not a real genre. is not a real mu- music genre because there's no real instrumentation involved. 
you hear that often. We've heard that forever. Um, people don't want to honor it or look at it as a music genre, but it's interesting because I have a lot of friends who work for record companies and stuff. And when, when you have that conversation with them, they kind of laugh because I have friends who work in the rock, they're rock A&Rs, they're A&Rs for, they're not in the urban or they, most labels call it the urban genre, but they're not in the urban genre. They're in the rock or country side of A&Ring at record labels. And they'll tell you straight up, this department is open because of the amount of money that the hip hop department brings in. Right. We operate not because of what these artists bring in, but because hip hop, they bring in double of what these artists make in, in this genre. So I think when we look at hip hop is is and its global impact, uh, economical impact, when we look at the reason a successful like Glastonbury recognizes that they need to have an artist like Jay Z to to headline, and not necessarily need, but they want is because they realize the global impact that this genre has. They realize, wow, Jay-Z is selling out Madison Square Garden four nights in a row. Jay-Z is selling out, you know, made it, he has his own festival, Made in America in Philadelphia, and he's pulling in numbers that are competing with ours. You know, when you start to realize, like, wow, these artists really do pull in numbers, these artists do have an impact in this genre, we want them to come in. We want to open the, the gates and let them come in in this, this this festival that typically does cater to, you know, a guitar fronted band and stuff like that. It, it I think that it should be something that's respected. I can respect a business person or a festival runner who recognizes that and wants to incorporate that into their, you know, festival. And, and, and I just I think the the, the criticism that hip hop is not a real music genre because there's no, it's just using your mouth and rapping. And I, I find it to be, like I said, insulting. And, and I think that that's just because of lack of awareness and lack of research of the impact that this genre has. Yeah. Agreed. Um, what would you say is Jay-Z's most important album and, and why? I have two that I feel are equally extremely important. Um, no matter what, how much I like the other albums, there's two. There's his first one. I always, when people say, well, how do I get into Jay-Z? I say, listen to this album, his first album, hands down. That album makes me cry. When I, I, I listen to it probably twice a week, once a week, twice a week. And it, I, every time I have a point where I'm in tears because that album is so good. So reasonable doubt. But I also would put Black Album up there because that was the album that Jay-Z was supposed to retire after. Right. And so that album has this sound to it. There's this pain and there's this, this, it's just a certain delivery that, you know, when you know, this is your last album, you can hear it in the artist's voice. Yeah. So black album was definitely an album where you can hear in his voice, the, the the love he had for music when he thought that was going to be his last album. There's a documentary that goes along with Black Album called Fade to Black. And it was him preparing to do his final tour, his final show at Madison Square Garden. And just that with the album that they can't, you know, release at the same time kind of thing. It was a double deal. Those two together, once you listen to the album and you watch that documentary, it, I think every artist breaking into any genre, but particularly hip hop genre, I think every artist should watch that 
so that they can see the, the work, the level of work that goes into being an artist. I think that was the perfect depiction. So those two albums for me are, are equally important. Apart from his huge success uh, in music, he's also a successful entrepreneur in an, a myriad of other businesses, clothing, beverages, real estate, sports teams. What is the secret of his success? Staying low key, in my personal opinion. Staying low key and, and, and understanding that it takes more than just making great albums to be successful in life, you know, as a, as an artist, people think they can put out some hit songs and make some money off of that. And that's it. They can take their foot off the gas. Jay-Z being the hustler that he's always been. It's always about when you ha- can start opening up your capital to do the things you love. Jay-Z is a sports fan. So for him, it made sense because he, he was a huge fan of sports. So, and I have, and he has a lot of sports relationships. He's friends with a lot of basketball players and football players. So it made sense to use your power, influence, and money to open up a sports agency, Rock Nation Sports. Open up your own agency. It made sense to open up a marketing department. It made sense to open up a management department because you're using your influence and power to to do these things. And I feel like the criticism that Jay-Z gets for certain partnerships, for example, his partnership with the NFL the criticism that he gets for these partnerships to me um, just come from a lack of understanding of why he feels the need to go and do these things and go into these rooms that otherwise we people can't necessarily just get in. You can't just get a meeting with Roger Goodell. You know, you can't just demand these types of things from these types of people and they they take you serious or they listen to you. And it's unfortunate, but when Jay-Z recognizes that I have that power and influence. I will do it. I feel like there should be a little bit less criticism. I think we should still hold these entertainers accountable and hold them to a certain standard. If you're going to represent us, if you're going to speak for us, do it with clean intentions and, you know, listen to the community. I agree with that. So I just feel like he's able to do these things and he just, the real estate. I mean, you hear about a lot of artists, Kanye West, you know, when, 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 when he did his, his, he recently he went to Forbes and said, I'm worth $3 billion. And once they kind of broke down Kanye's finances, it was like, okay, maybe about $3, three million of that $3 billion came from music this year. But right. 25 or 50 or $100 million of it came from real estate. Right. Um, I think a lot of these artists are starting to realize it's cool to rap about your block, but do you own, do you own it? Do you own one? So Jay-Z always has been, a. even when you listen to his first album, he's always been preaching about buying property, buying real estate, owning something. So the fact that he's a real real estate mogul, people don't really realize how much money he makes from that. Um, it, it's not surprising to me. Him, He's always been a brands guy, liquor sponsorships. Not surprising to me, you know, that, that that's something that he's still involved in and stuff. So He's a busy, he said it in one of his lyrics. He said, I'm not a businessman. I'm a business man. So I, you know, right. I, I've always been inclined to believe that. Right. <laughs> uh, one more question before we wrap up our conversation about Jay-Z. 50 years from now, how do you think he'll be remembered? I think that Jay-Z will be remembered as the greatest rapper alive. 
us, or maybe not, the greatest rapper of our of the, this generation, um, only because people can you agree that he's when you look at people's top five and you speak to hip hop heads or whomever, what's your top five? Jay Z's gonna always rank amongst one to three. More than not, he will be on everybody's list. In the top five, he'll typically rank amongst one to three. So it's like mathematics. When you take a mean and an average and you average it out, you can put him at number one. A lot of lists will put him at number one for many different reasons, but he'll still rank that high. So I just feel like when when, when he stops making music, whether he's here on the earth or not physically, he will... The, the, he will be remembered as the greatest to ever do it. On that note, we're going to take a break and then we're going to come back uh, and talk about someone until you had pointed her out I knew nothing about, Baha Medea. I'm really looking <laughs> forward to that. So stick around. We'll be right back. Thanks for dialing up the essence of cool. And if you like what you hear, we sure could do with your support. To help keep this podcast on the air, please toss a few bucks in our electronic tip jar, which is support at essenceofcool.com. We certainly appreciate it. Okay, and we're back with uh, Keisha Fresh. Uh, just talked about Jay-Z, and now we're going to talk about somebody, as I said before the break, I know nothing about, Baha Medea. Um, I listened to her debut album last night, Collage, and uh, as I said earlier in the program, I remarked at how much funk and jazz there was in uh, in the music. And she talked, uh, I guess in, in some interviews, she's talked about Earth, Wind & Fire being a maze, uh, main musical influence, which you know really makes sense. Did that kind of separate her from the pack at the time when she came out? Um, I, I, I believe so. Um, because at the time that Bombadilla really kind of stepped into the market, I would say, or the mainstream of things, she, she wasn't necessarily fitting the mold in 96 when you had Kim and, you know, some other female artists who were, you know, very, you know, dressed, dressed differently, dressed more revealing. Their, their content was very sexual driven, you know, things of that nature. She didn't really fit that mold. Um, she kind of more so fit the mold of, I would say, Queen Latifah, you know, MC Light, where it was more of, you know, empowerment and just kind of cool. But even still, it didn't fit that mold. It wasn't necessarily about female empowerment. It was always about female empowerment, but it was her lyrics were more so just about coolness. It was about being cool and funky and, and chilling. And you didn't really have the jazz influences heavy with other female rappers at the time that you did with Bombadilla. And I, 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 I kind of relate that to... The producers she was working with, but also the sound that she personally wanted to go for. Um, with Bamadia, you had um, it was just this real partnership with uh, Gangstar. So that's 
DJ Premier and Guru. You had this real partnership with Ski Beats, who produced Chasey's first album and quite a few albums after that. You had this real partnership with DJ Premier, who was like known to to just be the sample god. So I think when you have those kind of influences and you're all working together with some of the greatest producers at that time, 1996, and you're all working together, I think it's it's just going to give you this authentic sound that Bombadilla had. So I, I think that's what it was for her and what made her different. Right. Her first album comes out in, as you say, in 96 collage. Um, you're, I guess, two years old at the time. How, how and when did you come in contact with her music? Yeah. So 96, I was three and about to actually just turning three. And so for Bombadilla, I actually kind of got hip to her a little bit later in life. I would say maybe in my teens, um, probably a little bit earlier than that. But um, it was not until I was maybe about 16 where I really got to dive deep into her catalogs and really get to know who she was when I started experimenting with more jazz, jazz music and jazz sounds and how jazz intertwined with hip hop. So Bamadia was like, man, she really, she did it so well. You know what I mean? Like she did it so yeah. well. Yeah. And it just sound, it just sounds so beautiful the way that she was able to, to kind of mix it together. So that's kind of how I got hip to her. Um, one of the interviews I was, uh, I was watching, uh, doing my research on Bamadia, she says that most of the tracks on collage were recorded in the first take, which I think is a, is rather exceptional when you consider how intricate some of her raps can be. Totally. Uh, she has a record called, you know, how we do it. Um, and when you listen to the rhyme scheme on that record and how she delivers it. There's no, in my mind, it's like, how did you do this in one take? But I will say this, preparation, preparation, preparation. Yeah, indeed. Once you are prepared and you believe in what you're saying, once what you're saying is authentic, you can, in fact, go into the studio and deliver songs on one take. Speaking just kind of with Bahamadi and Jay-Z, Jay-Z was known for not writing his music down. He was known for memorizing it in his head, six bars, eight bars at a time. Um, oh, wow. Bamadia, in the sense where when she wrote, and even to this day when she writes, she can just literally write it now and wrap it, boom, off the fact that what she's saying is real. It's what she, so you don't even really have to memorize it because it's something you know. And, um, a lot of it's that's that's so rare. A lot of artists can't do either memorize and 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 just regurgitate it in, in the booth. A lot of artists can't do things in one take, so it's very unique that she can do that. Reading in a, a number of articles, a phrase that cropped up more than once was that she's the reigning queen of hip hop. She's only put out three albums. I put out a, a, a slew of singles, but only three albums. Why is she such an important figure? And the only word that comes to my heart when I think of her is authentic to this day. I know her. I, you know, she is someone who like, I look up to like a big sis. And to this day, it's just off. The word is authentic. It's just, she is so true to who she is. I, I remember one time 
there was this group from the '90s called Camp Low, mm-hmm. and I, I, you know, one of the I'm, I'm I'm pretty good friends with one of the members in the group, and we had a conversation, and he at the same time, so I, I want to give credit to the producer. His name is Ski Beats. Ski produced Jay Z's first album in 1996. He was producing Bombadilla's album in 1996, Collage, and he also produced Camp Low's Uptown Saturday Night album in 1996. So he really was really working hard. My fa- three of my f- top five albums were produced by this guy. So, wow. so that's how this is all intertwined, which is very interesting. But anyway, I- I'm speaking with with one of the members of Camp Low, and he said we were on tour in the UK, and Bombadilla was on tour with us, and we opened up for her. And he said, we were out there and we kind of, he said, I was super, you know, this is my first time in the UK. I'm really cocky. I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, I got this. And he said, I went on stage and for some reason I forgot my verse and I couldn't spit it properly. So he said, I came off stage feeling defeated. I was deflated. I was so disappointed in myself. And he said, she literally just put her hand on my shoulder and was like, it's okay. It happens to the best of us. Next time it'll be different. And he said just her presence. He said her presence and her spirit and her saying that was so calming. Yeah. She is speaking of which uh, uh, in one interview, she talks about like energy attracting like energy and how important it is to work with people that share your energy. And she, she talks about creating as a spiritual thing. Why, why is that important? Creating uh, from a spiritual place, in my belief, will always give you the most honest uh, response and reaction to your music. Um, one, Bahamadia was an artist I listened to very heavily when creating my album in Samadhi. And that album is very jazz influenced. Um, so I, I drew a lot of inspiration from her. And that to this day would always will, will be the album that I put out that got the, 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 just the bravest reviews. It spread the furthest of any other album I've ever put out. And I learned that from Bahamadia is once you're creating something from an honest and spiritual place, it will come across that way. It will relate to more people than you can imagine. It will touch more people and reach more people than you can imagine. And she has always created from that pocket and that existence of spirituality and honesty. And, and, and she, even to this day, when she's working on music, there's a particular process where she's creating for herself. And I heard um, actually Talib Kweli mentioned this in an interview one time. He said, I was able to create such honest music and relatable music in the beginning of my career because I didn't make music for my, I didn't have fans. So I couldn't have made music for my fans. He said, I was making music for me and people were able to relate to that. That's why it spread so far. And so I always kind of took that with me through my career. And I feel like Bombadilla embodies that very well. Uh, As I mentioned, I've watched uh, a number of interviews with her and she's incredibly articulate but she's also very passionate about preserving and promoting rap music and hip hop culture. Why is that important? Why is the uh, acting as a sort of rap ambassador so important? I think it's important because like many aspects of black music, things get lost in translation. Translation, they get lost 
when you let other people kind of tell it. So I feel like with hip hop, it was kind of something that, you know, they always hip hop started out in the, in the, in the, in the, in the park. And once it was, it was more of like, this is a fun thing to do. This is a cool thing to do, but you didn't really have people chronicling it, you know, to its, to a T. So there's, there's been a lot of arguments and fallouts over accuracy over timelines and so for people like Bamadia and, and people like T.L. Cross and people like, you know, some of these historians who are like, listen, we're not going to have this going further, going forward in, in next generations where there's a fallout, where there's, that didn't happen, how that said this, you know. So we have people who are now historians about this, who are like, okay, documenting things officially so that it's mutually agreed on in 50 years, this is what happened then. This is how this happened. And I think that's important because, you know, we're losing a lot of legends. We're losing a lot of people who were there in the park. We're losing a lot of people who were there when this started. So sitting with them now and getting these conversations, and I know Bamadia is a huge, you know, she's a huge believer in that, Getting these types of things documented and understanding where the, you can have an appreciation for something once you understand where it comes from. A lot of these young hip hop artists have no connection to where hip hop started, why it's yeah. what it is, where it came from. They just see it's a lot of money to be made. So, you know, I feel as though when an artist like Bombadia says she's trying to preserve the actual culture, hip hop is not just rapping, hip hop is breakdancing, DJing, emceeing, graffiti, it's culture, it's streaks wear, it's a lot of things. So preserving it in all of its aspects is a very big thing for myself, Bamadia, and a lot of us. So I know that's where she gets, you know, what, what a main drive for her. How difficult is it, uh, maybe how difficult was it then and how difficult is it now for female rappers to break in the industry? It wasn't to listen. I honestly feel like back in the day, there was more acceptance for female artists because you had a, such a variety. You had female rappers who were rapping in, in crews, and she and you know, you had these rappers who were part of a, a crew, like front, they were the front person for a crew. You had female duos, you had female rap groups, you had. You know, and then you had the variety. You had the MC Light, who was female empowerment and, you know, just, just really raw. Then you had the sexy artists who were just really, you know, pushing that type of content. You know, then you had, it was just a variety of artists at that time. Where I feel is nowadays they're trying to narrow it a bit, where you just only have these artists who have sexual content. Um, but there are still artists who kind of are breaking the mold. I just don't feel they're getting that the same attention, like Rhapsody, like Chica, um, like Tierra Whack, you know, these creative and fun and funky artists. I grew up on Missy Elliott. That was my favorite female rapper to watch. She was so creative. There was so much creativity. And a lot of people were like, oh, Missy, she, she, yeah, she's overweight. She's not going to make it. She dresses like, she's, a, she's like, like a tomboy, you know, there were so many critiques, but at the end of the day, she's one of the best-selling female rappers. She's one of the top-selling, top-earning. So I just feel as though it was a little more accepting, actually, back in the day than it is now, but it's changing. Yeah. 
Uh, one of the things she talked about in, in a couple of interviews is the need for female artists to develop a sense of camaraderie, to, to work together. Are there a lot of fractures between female artists in rap? I feel like if you're doing anything similar, they'll immediately try to pitch you against each other. Like, I always see these, like, memes, like, oh, Cardi B versus Nicki Minaj, Megan this, you know, they're always trying to pit us against each other. And I just feel as though female artists are, are, are recognizing that now, and they're just like, you know what, forget that, we're going to work together. Um, I feel like the collaborations are definitely happening more and more, um, but I just feel like with this social media age, it's so easy to influence drama and beef that... You get lost in it. You forget. You you know. You don't know where it came from. There's rumors, and you know. So I feel like it. That's that's playing a huge part in why female rappers don't collaborate more. But it, they see it as more of a competition as opposed to, you know, just wanting to help push each other up. So, but I, I feel as though that also is kind of breaking a little bit, and and female rappers are collaborating more. I want to finish up uh, on Bob Medea with the same question I asked you uh, for Jay-Z, and that is, 50 years from now, what will she be remembered for? I think her authenticity. I feel as though 50 years from now, people, when you're having that hip-hop conversation and you're speaking about women in hip-hop, it's going to be like, yo, Bob Medea, though, we got to give her her credit. I just feel as though, you know, because there was only three albums and there wasn't 14, you know what I mean? There wasn't more that um, people kind of forget the impact that she had. But um, I feel as though, you know, it's always, it always happens. We, we know this, Bernard. It always happens. Later down the line, people realize, wait a minute, that artist was really good. Yeah. They did this and this and this. And so I feel like 50 years down the line, she will be in that discussion of great female hip-hop artists. Um, I want to l- launch into the little game that I usually play at the end of every episode, and that's called Cool Not Cool. So I'm going to list a series of artists, one at a time, and I want you to tell me whether you feel they're cool or not, and, and if you want to back up your statement uh, with any dialogue, please feel free. Okay. Let's start with LL Cool J. <laughs> cool. Uh, and what makes him so cool? Just his demeanor. I was actually talking about him with my cousin yesterday. Just his whole demeanor. Um his whole swagger, just the way that he exists, I think is super cool. Yeah. Um, Sugar Hill Gang, cool or not cool? Cool, 100%. Sugar Hill Gang, they kind of laid the foundation for, for how hip-hop rhyming and, and crew rhyming as we know it is today. So they definitely are cool. Um, somebody who's met with a, a fair bit of controversy over the past five years, Kanye West. I'm going to give him right, as of right now, not cool. I'm not a fan of the things that he's saying. I'm not a fan of the position that he's taking uh, currently. If you asked me this five years ago, I would have said he's the coolest thing out. But as of right now, not cool. Uh, you're not the first person to have said that. You talked to me five or ten years ago, and I would have said, cool, today, not so cool. <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, Queen Latifah. Cool. She, uh, to me... The fact that Queen Latifah is not only just a hip-hop mogul, but she's also acting. She also has her own production company. You know, she's involved in, like, a lot. She does a lot of work with a lot of young female up-and-coming rappers. Definitely cool. Puffy. Cool. I always got to give Puffy the cool. He he gave me... He brought one of my favorite rappers, Biggie, to light. You know, he... He's given us a lot of great content over the years. And though met with controversy, I still give Puff his cool points. Uh, Ice-T. 
Ice T cool. He's in one of my favorite TV shows, Law and Order SVU. <laughs> I think I think it's cool because I, you know I can appreciate growth and being someone who grew who created music that was anti police and anti all that, but now he's able to grow and become a different person and actually be a cop on a TV show and stuff like that. I give him cool points. And he made that transition really seamlessly too, from uh, from hip hop artist uh, rapper to uh, actor and and a brilliant actor too. Agreed. Um, Wu Tang Clan. Oh, cool! I actually got to open for them with my group, the Sorority, uh, two years ago. Uh, Blair told me, yeah. or last year. Last year we opened for them, and they were honestly the coolest people ever. So cool! I give them cool. All right, uh, Tupac. Cool. I give Tupac cool points. Um, it's just crazy. A lot of people will say he's like the greatest and stuff. Tupac is probably not in my top top eight or top ten, but mm-hmm. I do respect Tupac for who he was becoming in life and who you know who he he was growing to be an activist outside of an artist. So cool points yeah. for sure. Uh, Eminem. Eminem, uh, I gotta give him cool. I gotta give him cool. Um, not I, I like Eminem. I can listen to him. I'm just not a huge fan of Eminem, but um, you have to respect his artistry. You have to respect his his ability. He's one of the greatest rappers. So yeah. cool for sure. Okay, and finally, Kanon. Kanon, I have to give Kanon cool again. Open, <laughs> open. He, we did the Wu Tang show with him last year, and he was super sweet, super nice, super humble. But I'm also a fan of Kanon's music, um, his first, second, um, just a fan of who he is. And, you know, got to, he put Canada even more on the map with Waving Flag being the Olympic anthem. So cool points for sure. Yeah. Keisha Fresh, thank you so much for being on. This has been a really enlightening uh, hour for me. I have learned so much today. So thank you for that. And, Thanks for um, having me. Thanks uh, for having me. An hour already, man. Great conversation. You even noticed. <laughs> Thanks to Keisha for a fascinating conversation and for opening my eyes to rap and hip-hop culture. For more information about Keisha, go to KeishaOnline.com. You can also find her on Instagram at FreeKeisha. Thanks for listening, and until next time, I'm Bernard Fraser saying, stay safe and please support independent artists.